Hello! Welcome to the Mind Buffs Podcast. Today, I'm going to be hanging out with my colleague, Kayla, and I am your host, Matt Demoisak. And welcome to today's conversation around language. I am the co-owner of Mind Buffs. We are a sport and performance psychology practice. We specialize in working with athletes, high performance people in different occupations from first responders to business uh, to any teachers out there, anyone where there's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, the information that we have on our podcast, this is for you. And I will let Kayla introduce herself and we're going to get talking about language. Yeah, my name is Kayla. I am a registered provisional psychologist at MindBuffs. Um, I will also work in the area of sport and performance, but also enjoy working with organizations. Lots of different types of people come through our door, so it's pretty exciting. What we're going to be doing in this series is we're going to be breaking down common language that's either used or misused in our culture and just talk about the importance of like how we define experiences, both like internal and external and how that completely changes our approach to it, whether or not we have motivation to take action or whether or not we start to internalize the experiences that we have. Language is so critical. And today we're going to be talking about the difference between discomfort and insecurity. And I'll let Kayla start by simply defining these two terms and we're going to share some research and go from there. Yeah. So uncomfortable or discomfort is that feeling of annoyance or unease in a situation. Um, And that feeling of insecurity is the feeling of inadequacy or the inability to cope in a situation. And the difficulty is that they feel nearly identical when you're experiencing them. So it's very easy to kind of misattribute what's actually happening if we don't actually know how to kind of assess the way that our body's communicating to us or how to assess the experience that's happening external to us. And funny enough, this is actually a concept and a question. Shout out to my client. You know who you are. This was a question that was asked to me uh, over a month ago. And I thought it was such a great question and such an interesting conversation to have that we wanted to start off um, this series around language using this uh, question that my client asked me because discomfort is just the most common human experience we have. It's exp- something we experience every single day. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of hearing some stories from Kayla and, and diving a bit more into some research that we were able to define that kind of uh, touched on this subject. I also really think that when we look at it in relation to the performance world, um, it's really important to be able to separate these two because they both come up when we're in a performance type setting, whether it be sports or business or presenting, whatever it is. Um, And so really, like Matt said at the start of the podcast, being able to figure out what that language means is super important for how our brain categorizes it and how we respond. Yeah, totally. Um, Many people have played sports and I know that a lot of our listeners are going to be people that have come from that kind of background. And we know that in the act of trying to learn new skills and to uh, improve the technical um, or visual tactical skills we have in the game, it's uncomfortable to learn new skills. We want to be good at it right away. And there's varying different degrees of frustration we can experience because of that. But we need to make sure that we are describing that experience as discomfort, as learning, but it's very easy to go to the dark side and start thinking that those experiences are signs that like, I'm not good enough or I'm a failure. And therefore we start experiencing insecurity. So 
we're going we're going to share a lot of different examples about how this plays into our our kind of day to day life. And I think maybe that conversation was brought up with your client Matt as um, these two words really have a crossover, like you said, in the physiological feeling that you have in your body, like Mm -hmm. that shakiness for me, at least, um, that feeling of like being really stressed or almost in that state of like hyper arousal Mm -hmm. when you walk into a room and you kind of feel like, Oh, something's off here. Right. Totally. Um, but I think that those two words then get crossed over and how do we internalize them and what does it mean for us and how we interact with our environment. And it's funny you mentioned that because I think the setting in which my client had posed that question was with uh, her ex-husband where, you know, it was a toxic relationship and it's very easy for her brain, her body to assess any interaction with him as being something that's unsafe or dangerous. But she's also done a ton of work on herself and she's worked super hard to get to a place where she can separate her experiences from other people's experiences and yet that slight difference between discomfort and insecurity it completely changes what your experience is like in different settings and around different people and so yeah that's what we wanted to kind of go into today I think even taking a pause for a second and recognizing that we can appreciate that our bodies in that moment are giving us those signals, even if it's then turning into insecurity, which is not exactly where we want to be. Um, but it is some sort of communication, right? Our body is communicating with us in some way. So just appreciating that that's even happening. Totally. And the, the concept of language, while we thought it was just so important to to have a series that started here is it's mostly about the language we use to describe the experiences we're having inside our emotions, our physiological sensations to be able to understand like how our brain, how our body communicates to us. But because, you know, we didn't grow up uh, in a culture where we had an instruction manual on how to operate the emotional machinery, all we're left with is what a friend told us or what we saw in a movie or a show. And so we have a very limited vocabulary to describe a huge, vast network of different emotions and different sensations that our body communicates with. So, And unfortunately, when we are lacking that language to be able to communicate with ourselves and others, that creates quite a few problems, right? We go down a path that maybe our body didn't intend us to go down in the first place, Mm -hmm. or like we know we're misreading those signals of danger, right? That's what anxiety is. Um, And so just being able to relabel things, even just for yourself, can completely change your experience. Totally. So a very easy way to remember how to differentiate the difference between discomfort and insecurity is with discomfort, it's more of this is not okay, or something is not okay. It's very external, outside of who we are in that experience. Insecurity is very much, I'm not okay. There's something wrong with me. And those are completely different experiences and why it's so critical we we know the difference between the two. And in a state of stress or hyperarousal, when you're getting those signals from your body, it's hard in that moment to take a second and be like, wait, is it outside that's not safe or is it inside that's not safe, right? Like who who totally. has that time when they're kind of in that fear response to, to differentiate? Mm-hmm. We need our body to protect us, but it does a really great job of overprotecting us and misreading information as danger where they're just neutral. It's up to us how we want to kind of define the experience. Another funny way to think of it is if you're feeling uncomfortable, this sucks. That sucks. 
but if you're feeling insecure, I suck. I am a shitty person. I failed at this. I can't do that. The language becomes I rather than this and that. Mm -hmm. You're starting to assign yourself labels based on what's happening in the environment around you. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to do that depending on what kind of childhood you had, what kind of coaches or teachers you had. If you have an emotional experience and a parent or a teacher or a coach who's supposed to kind of help you understand that experience or help you regulate or co-regulate that experience. If that's not being received well by someone else, they could be sending you signals that like, oh, you shouldn't be feeling that way. Or like, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry about that. Or like, why are you always feeling stressed in X, Y, Z? And so over time, we can begin to kind of internalize any feeling of discomfort with like shame or guilt. And that's why we see a lot of, of people, a lot of performance clients is because they know what they want to do. They know how to perform, but there are these big, confusing emotional experiences that make them feel like they are missing the mark or that no matter what they do, they'll never be good enough. And again, sometimes it just simply starts by how we are defining that initial experience and that snowball either stays a pretty little snowflake or it be- starts an avalanche. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> And I think it's also important to highlight that you can have both discomfort and insecurity in the same room. Um, different parts are creating each one of those emotions and starting to be able to identify which is which for yourself is going to be hugely important into finding your success with them. Think about this concept for yourself. Is there a story that comes to mind or like an experience that you encounter more regularly where you kind of have to do that cognitive work to differentiate between the two? Yeah, I think um, even in our field presenting to large groups of people. I mean, I was a teacher before this, so I'm used to being in a room with small children, but now I'm in a room with adults, right? And um, walking into some of those scenarios when you know, there's 200 faces staring at you, looking to you for some some piece of information or something they're looking to learn from you. That really can create those feelings of discomfort. But I think in a lot of those scenarios, I'm able to regulate and say, I'm okay, mm-hmm. I'm safe. Um, so for those, I can categorize that as a feeling of discomfort versus insecurity. Mm-hmm. But you best bet when I first started doing them, that was totally insecurity. It's totally. just morphed over time, right? Yeah. I think public speaking is probably one of the most universal examples of the difference between discomfort and insecurity. It's not an easy thing to do. We're not supposed to be good at it. It is a skill that takes a lot of time to learn. And if you won the genetic lottery of being an extroverted, charismatic, super big, intuitive person, sure, that stage might be one of the most enjoyable things um, in your job or in your life, but that's a small select of the population. And so whether it is when you're seven years old presenting uh, a... Uh, art project or your favorite toy from school for show and tell, and you're having to talk in front of your peers, that moment at seven years old, if it is so uncomfortable that you don't know what to do with your feelings, that can so easily morph into, I'm insecure, or it's scary talking in front of people, I don't know what to do, I'm bad at this. And it can start literally as young as grade one, kindergarten. And to bring it back to what you said earlier, it's having that safe base to engage in some of those fearful base behaviors like 
showing your favorite stuffy when you're seven, right? <laughs> and your teacher's sitting over there smiling at you, giving you the thumbs up versus, you know, the yeah. librarian that's scowling at you, asking you to hurry up, right? <laughs> it's a very different scenario and it teaches you, can I regulate my emotions and feel safe in this moment versus yeah. there must be something wrong with me. Yeah. Because of the kinds of clients that we work with, a very um, kind of high proportion of our clients are in the corporate world business. So we get a lot of managers and supervisors and owners. And so naturally speaking in front of other people is a very regular occurrence. And this is a, a topic that we get a lot in our first sessions of like, I'm coming to see you because I want to be able to get over this fear, this anxiety. A lot of the time that fear is there because it's uncomfortable. They're more introverted. They're better in one-on-one -on -one types of conversations. So it's not that they're bad at it. Just from like a nervous system, a stimulus perspective, there's just so much information for that kind of person and that for that kind of brain to be able to like being plugged in and to see and feel all of it, that it's so easy to be like, oh my God, I'm so bad at this. Everyone's looking at me. Like, what are they thinking about me? No one's thinking anything negative of you. It's just hanging out. They're there mostly, hopefully most of the time, because they actually want to hear what you have to say. And so learning that you actually are probably more talented than you realize, but your brain is just misinterpreting such a high stimulus experience as being dangerous or negative. Mm -hmm. And what we know from sports psychology is that being in those high stimulus environments, like something that's slightly outside of your comfort zone is actually a phenomenal place to be for performance. Mm -hmm. We can access the best types of performance when we're not just playing at our level, but slightly above, right? And so I think that's the Good important example. part to highlight about that feeling of discomfort. Yeah. Insecurity will automatically send you those negative thoughts that reinforce that like, I'm not okay, or I'm not good at this. And so you're going to be challenging the I'm not good enough, the I'm a failure, the, the I suck, I'm bad. And so when you're able to be really consistent, even in your pre-public speaking routine of like reminding yourself, hey, I got this. I deserve to be here. I'm smart. I have really cool information I love to share. You're just making it easier for your brain to notice that nervousness as being simply discomfort as opposed to, oh my God, like my body does not want me to do this. My brain thinks I suck. And so I need to run away and hide so no one sees me. It all starts with that first language. That it's so critical. So much about sports psychology is not about helping our athletes, helping our performance clients get to a point where they no longer feel stress, where they no longer feel anxiety, where they no longer feel depressed. That's a part of being human. We can't ever get to a place where we don't have those experiences. For people, and maybe you're one of those listeners right now, that you're trying to do that, that's probably creating the mental health symptoms that you have in your life. And so when we can learn to embrace that, like that discomfort is necessary for that next version of me to happen, for that next skill to grow, it, it changes our perception of discomfort in a really positive way. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. I was doing some research and found a study that specifically talked about this, and it was looking at discomfort as a motivator for change and growth. And they looked at a group of improv students, and they told these improv students to feel themselves developing a new skill when they felt those physiological feel like feelings of discomfort. So maybe it's like butterflies in your stomach or tightness in your chest, whatever it is, that discomfort feeling. Those that were able to embrace that phrase 
feeling themselves developing a new skill in a feeling of discomfort, were more motivated to continue with that discomfort activity. So in this case, improv, they actually experienced high levels, higher levels of achievement post performance. And they were possibly open to learning new or more skills and being in that feeling of discomfort. That's so so they cool. actually got better at being uncomfortable by harnessing that thought pattern. That's right? so cool. It, it reminds me of people who enjoy type one fun as opposed to people who enjoy type two fun. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar with this theory, it's a really simple theory. Type one fun is like TV, it's movies, it's eating a chocolate bar, something that is making you feel good as soon as you do it, as soon as you feel it, as soon as you taste it. Type two fun is summiting a bloody mountain. It might suck for eight hours. Hopefully you didn't have a shitty hike where you couldn't actually see any of the view on the way up, but your body is like, oh my God, what are we doing? Where are we going? But as soon as you get to the top, it's like, oh, okay, this was worth it. This was really sweet. And that achievement, that that euphoria, oh my goodness, it's it's way more satisfying than just turning the TV on or, or having a piece of candy for a couple of minutes. It's so fleeting. It's building confidence through the activity as well, right? If you look at yourself of when I feel this, uh, this feeling of uncomfort in front of 200 people, can I push myself? Can I feel in front of 250 or 300 people, right? Mm -hmm. And so then it becomes instead of this like feeling that your body is interpreting as like a ne negative experience, this is a threat to yeah. like, this is an opportunity, yeah. right? Here's my chance to grow, to, to learn, to get better, right? Yeah. For those of you that have seen a documentary on Netflix, it's kind of like half movie, half documentary. Um, it has, it's called Stutz. It has Jonah Hill and his therapist, obviously as shrinks. Kayla and I think that this is just the coolest shit ever and like we'll recommend it for everyone, but it's actually really well done. And the show does like a really good job of kind of looking at uh, identity and discomfort and how if we're trying to avoid discomfort, we typically are increasing the fear of those parts of ourselves that we don't like. It's, it's a great movie. Like I really encourage you guys to see it, but, um, there is a little quote that the psychologist had mentioned in the show that I've just totally adopted. And I just love the way he said it. And he had mentioned that there are three things that just by being human, we can't avoid. It's just part of being human. Those three things are work, change, and discomfort. He called it pain. We can't avoid pain. Sometimes we can't avoid suffering. Sometimes we have moments of anguish or agony. But man, North America and social media, they do such a good job of trying to convince you that you can have a happy life, a pain-free life, that the whole purpose is to retire early, get rich, and finish working. That's where we run into problems, when we try to avoid those unavoidables rather than just embracing them as part of our ecosystem, as part of just being human. We create mental health by avoiding the very things that we think are causing the mental health, but it's our response to it that actually creates all of the issues. It's, yeah, it's, it's a simple concept to remember. Work, pain, and change. We cannot avoid it. We have to learn to live with it. Yeah, and it's my brain is taking it to similar, the similar way that uh, act. So 
acceptance and commitment therapy mm-hmm. books at emotions, right? Is each one of them are is going to move through your field of vision at some point during the day and you can't really harness which one you have control over, right? Happiness is something we're constantly searching for, but why don't we spend some time hmm. with discomfort? Hmm. Why don't we spend some time with anger? Those also deserve that appreciation and time to be acknowledged. Totally. You'll probably hear us talk about um how much we make fun of uh, people who come into therapy and be like, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happier. And we, we laugh about it because people don't realize that happiness is an emotion. It's not a state. It's, it's not a place. It's a fleeting coming and going emotion. One of 90, <laughs> 90 different emotions. Happiness is one of them. Of course, we can try to design our life change the relationships we have, create a routine and structure where we're experiencing more happiness. But for the most part, happiness is actually outside of our control. It's a result of us designing a life and having good relationships and good people where happiness just happens. It's spontaneous. It's just authentic and genuine in the moment. So if your goal in life is to be happy, you'll be very unhappy. Mm-hmm. So speaking about insecurity a bit more, do you have any specific examples, especially as an athlete that come to your mind when you think about the feeling of insecurity? Yeah, I think about the state that I've kind of been in for the last 10 years of my life. Growing up, I was a multi-sport athlete for the most part, really focused on basketball, but 5'2 didn't take me too far in the sport. And um, I look at my life now and it's really surrounded by people that are playing high level sports, especially in the sports psychology community. You know, my coworkers are either ex-NHL players or have been to college basketball. My, my friends and my community also play their sports at quite a high level. And I've kind of been stuck in this place for a while of feeling that sense of insecurity in those athletic communities because I don't have a sport where I'm competing at a high level which I know I could if I engaged in it. And so I think that insecurity comes from that athletic identity, missing a part of it or, or expecting myself to, to see it differently. Would you say that as far back as you can remember that like you really identified yourself as being an athlete or having significant athletic identity? Yeah, I would say, I mean, growing up through high school, that was my identity. That was who I was. I played every sport. I, you know, I was the only girl that showed up to my uh, school like sport reunion in a pantsuit. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I was really trying to lean into that that feeling, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Um, insecurity is inevitable when you're playing sports. It just breeds comparison and competition. And as soon as you feel like you're not doing what you are supposed to be doing or someone's doing it better than you, then yeah, we can really get these feelings of, of insecurity. Um, rather than seeing it as being like, Oh man, like that sucks. I wish I could do that. Like I, I'm clearly not there. What can I do about that? And, and that's really the difference between discomfort and insecurity is discomfort is a call to action. Insecurity is a call to protection. And so if we allow ourselves as athletes to be consumed by insecurity, we will never make progress because our brain's responsibility in that moment is to stop or to run away. <laughs> that fight or flight happens as a result of, of insecurity, whereas discomfort's like, man, 
it fucking sucks. I want to be better than this. Like, I know I have more to give. Completely different. But again, me and that, that language. But I know that for myself, insecurity was a significant part of my athletic identity uh, in my teen years. I was also a multi-sport athlete. I played hockey, played golf, and yes, I was a bowler. So much so that I actually had to choose between hockey and bowling when I was almost 15 years old. And I didn't enjoy just playing one sport. I liked playing multiple different sports. And I also started really late. I didn't play hockey until I was 10 years old. So most of my playing career, I was like starting on the bottom and having to work my way through. And when I think about my early years, that was fine. It wasn't something I was worried about. It wasn't something I was concerned about, or I, I don't even remember measuring myself up against my peers, even though I was lower in the lineup. But then as soon as I started playing club hockey at 14, it was like that all changed. It was like not being one of the player, better players was bad. And then I had teammates who let me know that I wasn't one of the better players. And all of a sudden, not being good enough wasn't safe. It put me in harm's way. And I think when we talk about that feeling of discomfort versus insecurity, sometimes that can come from being in a position that's vastly outside of our skill level or what we perceive as our skill level, right? This difference is so big that how am I going to make it up? I, I can't be good enough. <laughs> totally. Looking at how good someone else is and being like, oh man, like I wish like I could do that. And then you try to skip like steps one through 10 that actually help you be able to do that skill that you really want to do. And of course, if your goal is to do step 10 without one through nine, you're going to hate yourself. <laughs> You're going to hate every part of, of that training and feel very insecure. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Looking at a little deeper into insecurity from even just a cognitive behavioral um approach. So think about Pavlov's dog, the steak and salivation and understanding just the base form of how our brain forms new habits and learns new things. There's a concept called experimental neuroses. So experimental neuroses is an abnormal behavior condition produced in an artificial laboratory setting. The subject is typically placed in a problem-solving or discernment scenario that they can't solve because it's too difficult or impossible. This can result in erratic altered behavior that mimics a mental disorder. This is crazy because this means that like just as who we are, our brains genetically, neurologically, our brain doesn't like not knowing. <laughs> One of the ways that I like to describe it is the file cabinet that <laughs> that goes on forever. What movie? Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty <laughs> is that constant searching for the answer that may not even exist, but you need to know the answer for something. And if there isn't an answer, well, then it must be me. Totally. I can't find the answer or I don't have the answer or maybe I'm not phrasing my question the right way. I'm not searching in a way that's good enough. It's, it's frustrating because... The more and more I learn about the brain, because we know so little, like of any object in the entire universe, we know less about the brain than anything else. But as we learn more and more about it, the more we see that the brain actually gets in the way a lot. It, it sends a lot of misinformation. And so 
there are certain experiences we have where we have to be able to challenge what our brain is sending us, not in a skeptical or like doubt kind of way, but like when we feel that discomfort of trying to learn something new, why? Like, what what is that there for? It's because our brain wants to know that discomfort, again, is supposed to be a call for action. So it was like, oh, son of a bitch. Like, how come I can't figure this out? What do I have to do? There's this intensity behind like, needing to find the answer of like needing to know why is this happening so from an evolutionary psychology standpoint that intensity that level of frustration is supposed to make us go forward to figure out the answer well and if you think about it in that scenario when you're exposed to that over and over of trying to find the answer and not being able to eventually you go well throw my hands up in the air. That's it. It's me. I must be the reason I'm not good enough. Let's Mm self-blame. And then maybe we can stop this conversation or that's an answer in Mm -hmm. itself, right? Your brain isn't trying to tell you that you're stupid or that you're not good enough. It's trying to make you frustrated enough and activated enough to give a damn. Like, this is something I... I want to learn. This feels like something important that we should be able to do. So, like, let's, let's figure it out. But somewhere along the line, we trick ourselves into thinking that we're inadequate, that we're not good enough, that by not knowing, we should know for some reason. And then we just have our door wide open to let insecurity come hang out with us whenever we want. And we look at that in comparison to negative self-talk and self-compassion. We know that when we act with self-compassion, that actually creates feelings of wanting to grow. Mm -hmm. But when we negative self-talk our way through something, it's almost an avoidance-based behavior, right? If I don't do this, then I've avoided the negative outcome, which never leaves us with feelings of success. No. That leaves us with feelings of not shittiness, (laughs) right? I avoided that or I wasn't as bad as I thought it was. That doesn't feel good. No. It doesn't feel as horrible as if you would have got the positive answer, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. yeah. There are a lot of occupations, jobs, and also like personalities where you know what to expect. There's a very simple cause and effect. Like this is the problem. Here's a solution. Let's go and and figure that out. But there are also lots of careers and and different kinds of people where it's, it's gray. There, there isn't a specific answer that's easily attainable and therefore easy to be able to help a client or help a person, help a patient be able to know like what to do with that. And I know because we see lots of these clients that if you feel overly responsible for helping your client, your person, your colleague, you're going to be intensely insecure if you can't find the answer right away. If you've told yourself that I should be able to, I need to find the answer. But like, just as an example, um, like physiotherapy, like how many times We've all been to physio in some form or the other. It's never like we go to the physio, we give them our random symptoms. They like tap on our knee and be like, oh yeah, I know exactly like what's going on. No problem. It's a process. And sometimes it's like session number five before you or your physiotherapist figure out, oh, this is what's happening. So depending on your job, it might also kind of set you up to feel like you should know more or that you're bad at your job. Because again, that intense experience of like, I don't know, but like, we need to know, I want to know. 
Which brings me back to something that we do hear a lot at Mind Buffs. We talk about Gretchen Rubin's four tendencies. And if you don't know, go online and take the test and figure out which four so tendency good. you are. But for myself, I'm a questioner. And this is Amplify. <laughs> I like to say I need to know the answer, but I'm often corrected to there's no correct answer. It's the best decision you have with the information that you currently have. 100%. If there's any theme you guys are going to get from listening to our podcast, it's that we're going to try and talk about and start with like a very simple concept. And the reason why is because everything is so interconnected. We start with a simple concept of discomfort and insecurity, and all of a sudden we're looking at behavioral science and performance literature and language. And then we're also trying to look at like personality and how that changes your experiences and the kinds of environments you grew up in. This shit isn't easy. So give yourself a break. If you are frustrated and wondering, like, how come I still feel this way? How come this still happens? It's because brains are super complicated. And so much of what our brain learns happens automatically without us being aware of it. So cut yourself some slack. Today, we wanted to just bring up a situation that we feel everyone experiences almost on the daily. And so, the takeaway with discomfort and insecurity to remember in short form is that discomfort is this is not okay or that sucks or I wanted to figure out like what I can do to move through this discomfort to be better for it. But as soon as we start to feel insecure, it turns internal. I'm not okay. I suck. I'm not good enough. I don't like doing things I'm not good at as a result, which we can all think of ourselves or someone else that is like that. And so really consider the kind of language that you use to describe the typical kinds of discomfort that you experience in in your day-to-day. And catch yourself. Play into that somatic piece, right? The idea of what is my body trying to tell me right now? If you have those sensations in your chest or your stomach, can you slow down that dialogue so you don't have to go down the negative self-talk? How can we add that pause from I'm uncomfortable or this is not outside of me is not mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to turn internal all the time. No. If you are interested in learning more about language and how much that impacts our performance, our psyche, our relationships, our occupation, our friendships, then Stay tuned for more with Kayla and myself. We're going to be spending a lot of time dissecting really common um, experiences and ways that we define experiences in our day-to-day life and be able to understand at a greater level why culturally we have these experiences or why from a performance mindset or why from a neurological uh, perspective we have these experiences. And so we'll be bringing a lot more language tips uh, and different ways to approach these situations in future episodes. Thanks so much for joining us today and we will see you next time. 